a few years ago, uh, well, it's been about 10 years ago, I guess, uh, I invited uh, Dr. Richard Pratt, who is one of my uh, professors at uh, Reformed Theological Seminary, the graduate school that I attended, uh, to come and do a theological conference for us here in El Paso. And uh, I picked Richard up at the airport, and we're driving back into El Paso, and I'm telling him all about Mexico and El Paso and El Paso del Norte and uh, the, the history of El Paso and looking at downtown. And Richard uh, is sort of interested, not that much. And uh, anyway, out of the blue, he says, what, what are you doing here? Why are you here? Uh, why does El Paso... Uh, need another church. And of course, I, you know, threw me completely for a loop. I didn't know how to answer him, which is exactly what he was trying to do, is embarrass me. And uh, so I gave him some lame answers, you know, about what I was doing here, you know, I need a job, whatever. The, the, uh. But over the years, almost every year, at this time of year, during our anniversary, I think to myself, why? Why in the world would we need another church in El Paso? There are churches everywhere. And anyway, what's the difference uh, between churches? Aren't they all the same? Uh, don't they all say basically the same thing? Uh, you know, religion and all of that. Uh, and I think I would have to say yes, that all religions are the same, whether it's Christianity or Islam or Hinduism or Judaism or any, any religion. Take your pick. Sadly, uh, they are the same, except for the story that I'm about to read. And I'm going to read this story to you and make a few brief remarks. And I think and I hope with all my heart that this will show to all of us here, if we're honest, that there is a difference and that that difference is profound and life-changing. So if you have a Bible with you, please open them to Luke chapter 7. If you don't, uh, the text is printed in your bulletin, and I welcome you to read along with that. Uh, and now I'd ask you to hear uh, God's Word, a very beautiful story from the Gospel of Luke chapter 7, starting in verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with them, talking about Jesus. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table of the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed him, them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner." And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? 
Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said, that was anointing his feet, he said to her, or he said to Simon, you have judged rightly. Then turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, from the, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is the gospel of our Lord. You know, except for this story, we would have to say all religions are the same. All religions eventually lead you to God, whoever he, she, it is, whatever your faith uh, background may be or whatever you think God may be. Except for this story and many like it in Scripture, in the Gospels in particularly, we would not see any different. All religions, we'd have to admit they're the same. But I think in this Scripture... We see the difference, and I will uh, do my best to explain it to you. We see in the, in, the, in the story three people, a Pharisee named Simon, a woman who is nameless, and Jesus, who interestingly enough in the story, in the narrative, is also nameless. He's only called he or him in the story. It's fascinating Don't have time to look into that. What were Pharisees? What are these people? We kind of know what they were. We think of them as very religious and snobby people. And they were, but they were really more than that. The Pharisees were lay people like all of us, uh, except for Jim and and Merle and myself who are professional uh, clergy. The, The Pharisees were just ordinary people, everyday people, but they were extremely scrupulous about their religious observances. They observed all of the law of Moses down to its minutest detail. And not only the law of Moses, but all of the um, extra laws that were contained in both Talmud and Mishnah, the two traditional commentaries that you find for the scriptures of Israel. They observed every minutia of the law. They obeyed the laws. They were clean living. They played no loud music at their houses. Their yards were clean. They knew the best people in town. In fact, every one of us in this room would love having these Pharisees as our next door neighbor. We would want them as our next door neighbor. They knew all the right people. They dressed well. and And they made sure that everybody around saw 
how good they were. They were in church every Sunday. They founded churches. They built synagogues. They were the best of the best. And the people in ancient Israel admired them and looked up to them, but in another sense were crushed by them. Because how in the world could ordinary people live up to that? And the Pharisees in the Gospels are the people that Jesus engages almost, almost all the time. On the other hand, you have the woman, the second person. She's unnamed, and again, I don't have time to go into all of that, but just plug that into your mind. She has no name. And the, and the Scripture describes her this way. Listen, she is of the city, a sinner. Now, I won't say, we have children here, so I'm not going to go into the details, but this was a woman who was of ill repute. The lowest of the low. Her life was completely broken. It was filled with sin, shame, and guilt. She had nothing, nothing to commend her. She is contrasted with this amazing religious man, Simon the Pharisee, and this woman. And for generations, for years, scholars have said these two people, the woman and the Pharisees, represent the difference between authentic, historic Christianity and every other world religion. In fact, I'm ashamed to say it, but there are large parts of our own tradition, Christianity, that we could just cut off and lump in with all the rest of the religions. Here's the difference. Dr. Tim Keller in his book, The Reason for God, says this about religion. Listen. In the broader sense, religion is any belief system of ultimate values that shapes our pursuit of a particular kind of life in the world. Listen. Virtually all religions require, to one degree or another, a form of self Salvation through merit. People approach God and become worthy through various rites, observances, and behaviors. This is what most people think of when they think of religion. In this sense, Christianity as represented in the New Testament, biblical historic Christianity, is radically distinct. The woman, verse 38, she is standing behind Jesus, not in front of Him, not to His side. She's behind. She is weeping. She is anointing His feet. With her tears, so profuse is her weeping. She's on her knees behind him. She loosens her hair and she takes her hair down and she wipes his feet with her hair. The greatest, most amazing act of humility that you can imagine in the Near East. Those of you, our military brothers and sisters who have been over there, you know that to get down and to touch someone's feet was the lowest form of low. She goes to the very bottom, takes the 
expensive alabaster box of ointment, probably the most precious thing she had, and wiped his feet with her tears. The Pharisee, on the other hand, verse 39, immediately following, the Pharisee, in his mind, he says this, If this man, you can hear his scorn, you can hear the derision of this man, this self-righteous, narrow, pitiable human being, this Pharisee, everybody looked up to, but listen. If this man, he's saying, looking at Jesus, who was saying nothing to the woman, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is touching him, for she is a sinner. And there's the contrast, folks. The woman, this sinner, this woman of the city, woman of ill repute, who these Pharisees would not, they would have crossed the street to stay away from this woman, is there touching the Son of God, not just the Son of Almighty God Himself. And Jesus is welcoming her um, service to him. The woman had nothing to offer, folks. Nothing. She had nothing to offer him except shame, guilt, a messed up life. And her only hope, if you read the story, her only hope is that Jesus would have mercy, that he would not push her away or draw his feet away or look at her in some way that would push her out and push her away. The Pharisee, on the other hand, has a stellar moral record. He was better than you. He was better than me. He was better than all of... Well, maybe not better than me. But he was better than anyone that you know. (laughs) Kept the law. He had a religious record of good doing, moral doing, that he could hold up to anybody and everybody would have said, wow, that's over the top. This is a holy man. Religion operates on the principle, listen carefully, religion, and I'm going to say every religion in the world, doesn't matter what it is, and sadly, parts of Christianity, shame on us. But every religion in the world, and even parts of our own traditions in Christianity, operate on this principle. I obey, therefore, I'm accepted by God. I'm a good person, therefore, I'm accepted by God. I obey the rules. I try to do the best I can. I'm sincere. I follow the golden rule. Well, sometimes, best I can. I I don't really kill anybody. I don't murder. I'm, 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 I'm a pretty good person. That's religion. The gospel, on the other hand, that is presented to us in the New Testament is completely different. It says you are accepted by God. Merely and simply for one reason and one reason only. His unmerited grace. His mercy to us. We have nothing to bring. Nothing to commend us. Nothing we can give Him that is worth enough to save our wretched souls. And yet Jesus welcomes this woman and His heart is to her And his eyes are on that Pharisee. Listen, I'll complete what Dr. Keller says. Two people, 
living their lives on the basis of these two principles. I obey, therefore I'm accepted, or I'm accepted, therefore out of gratitude and love I obey. Two people living all their lives on the basis of these two different principles may sit, listen, sit next together in the church pew, both pray, both give money generously, are loyal and faithful to their families in church, trying to live decent lives. However, they do so out of two radically different motivations. What's inside? The motive, why you're doing it. Two radically different spiritual identities. One is, I'm a good person, look at me, I do it right. The other person, don't look at me, I've done nothing right. Two different identities. And the result, listen, the result is two radically different kinds of lives. You see, folks, listen, here it is. This is just the bottom line. If you identify with Simon the Pharisee, how you will relate to other people around you will be harsh, pinched, judgmental, angry. You will sit up and you will watch the TV and you'll watch the people parading on TV or listen to the news or whatever it is and you'll say, you know, those are really bad people over there. Those are bad. I'm better. At least I'm better than those people. Whoever they are. If you identify with the woman, when you see those people, you will say, such was one of, I was such as them. But for the grace of God, I go there. That's me. You will be humble. Listen, here's the difference. You'll be humble, spacious, loving, tolerant, gracious to others, patient. And understand this, my friends. This woman received forgiveness And the Pharisee received nothing but judgment and rebuke. And that brings us to the third person. You see the Pharisee, you see the woman in the story. Two religions. One, I obey, I'm accepted. The other, I've messed up. I have nothing to commend me. But this man, he is showing me love and compassion Therefore, my heart is His. My heart belongs to Him. I will obey. I will do anything for Him. He can ask me anything. I'll do it for Him. That is the difference. In verse 40, Jesus does this. Now, if you're not familiar with the Gospels, He does it a lot. And whenever He does it, you know that trouble is coming. Jesus says to Simon this. He asked him a question. Whenever Jesus asked a question, somebody was going to get laid low. Simon, I have something to say to you. And Simon, almost sarcastically, you can almost hear him, he says, oh, teacher, go ahead. Say whatever you have to say, fine. I entered your house 
Now, in the Near East, in the ancient Near East especially, and in the Near East today, when you go into somebody's house, hospitality is everything. I'm Lebanese. My family's from Lebanon. And, you know, when you come, those of you that have been to my house, you know we have, we have enough food for you, your family, all your extended relatives, all of their friends and family, and, and it just goes on and on and on. Because the most shameful thing to a person from the Near East is to run out of food to not be hospitable, to not open their house. They may even hate you, but they welcome you in their home. Not that we do that, but others do. Simon, I came in your house. You didn't even offer me water to wash my feet. You offered me no kiss, which he should have done. He should have kissed Jesus just as any, he would anybody that came in his house. He would have greeted him with a kiss. He didn't bother kissing him. So you didn't do any of these things for me. And then he says to this man, the second question, he's going to really lay him low now. Do you see this woman? Do you see her? Well, of course he saw her. It's a rhetorical question. It's a trick question. He's going to lay this man low. Do you see this woman? Of course I see this woman. I see her. And the story is dripping, my friends, with irony because he saw the woman. She's not worthy to touch this so-called prophet's feet. She's not even worthy to be. How did she even sneak in my house? Do you see this woman? The irony is Simon saw the woman. He didn't see himself. The Apostle Paul said, all have sinned, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Jonathan Edwards, the great uh, New England uh, uh, scholar, uh, said, we contribute nothing to our salvation except the sin that made it necessary. We contribute nothing to our salvation except the sin that made it necessary. And the Apostle Paul went on in another place. He says, we dare not, we dare not classify ourselves or compare ourselves with some who are commending themselves when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another. They are fools. They are without understanding, the Apostle Paul says. For it is not... The one who commends himself, who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. Simon, do you see this woman? Why does, why does El Paso need another church? You know, we can throw rocks. There's churches everywhere. I mean, within a stone's throw, there are churches. Why do we need another church? I'll tell you why, folks. The grave, the grave is the great equalizer. We're all going to die, and whether you're rich or poor, good or bad, no matter what, we are all going to be made equal one day when we face our final breath or take our final breath. Here's the good news. I'm sure you were waiting for the good news. (laughs) Here's the good news. Grace. The grace that we see in the Bible. The grace that historic 
Authentic Christianity proclaimed the grace that sadly all too future, all few churches do not proclaim. Grace is also a great equalizer. You see, if I mean we look look at these three guys up here. I mean we're all in robes. We look really good. You have no idea what's inside, especially Jim. I've known Jim since graduate school. We were, we were cohorts together in school. You have no idea what's behind the facade. But God knows. He sees it. And if he pulled the curtain back, really, pulled the curtain back and shined the light of his truth into our lives, my God, what would he see? When I was 18 years, my friend Bill Avila is here today. We've known each other since fifth grade in school. But when I was 18, God found me in a gutter, in the filth and slavery of sin. I've cleaned up a lot, but really, if the curtain was pulled back, you'd still see the chains. You could still hear them rattling. There's some still there. I fight it every day, but I'm not alone. Grace is also the great equalizer. Grace in Scripture is unmerited favor. Nothing. You bring nothing to the table but your misery, your brokenness, your sin. And Jesus, the the Savior, God Almighty says, Come to me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. All you, learn from me. Take my yoke upon you. My burden is easy. My load is light. Come to me. I will give you rest. I will give you grace. You don't jump through hoops for me. You don't have to perform for me. All you have to do is humble yourself and ask for mercy. And I will, Jesus said, I will never turn away anyone who comes to me. And folks, if he can accept this woman, if he can accept me, he can accept anyone. And he does. In verse 47, Jesus says to the woman, I tell you, he says to the group of people, many religious people with a big house full of people, it was a big big dinner, you know, to who knows what they had planned for Jesus. But he turned the tables on them. And he says to the whole crowd, full of Pharisees, full of religious people, I tell you, her sins which are many are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And then he turns to her and he says, your sins are forgiven. This man who in this narrative had no name, his name is now revealed by the scorn of those in the room. Who does he think he is? Well, you know what? He knew exactly who he was. He was God Almighty. The incarnate Son of God who came in total and complete humility who was born in a manger so that He could come and rescue women like this, men like that, people like us. Biblical Christianity is scandalous and at the same time, wonderful. He tells her, your faith has saved you. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. 
Faith is only as good, folks, as the object, or in this case, the person in which you get. You can believe all day long that a tree is going to save you. That tree cannot save you. But if you put one little ounce, one little shred of faith in Jesus Christ the King, all of His power, all of His might, and the scars in His hands, and the scars in His feet are accrued to you and to me. The Apostle Paul said, listen, for by grace are you saved, and this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, lest any man should boast. He went on to say, God commends, listen, God commends, He shows His love, He proves His love to us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. Look at your life, folks, on the worst day, the day when you were at your worst, at your lowest, in the, in the most worst vagaries of sin that you can imagine. I don't know all your stories, but wherever that day is, wherever it was, that's the day He loved you the most. That's the day Jesus loves you the most. One of my professors at seminary, Dr. R.C. Sproul, many of you know who Dr. Sproul is, he's quite well known, got up in class and he told us one day this, I'll never forget it. Human beings are saved the old-fashioned way by works. Human beings are saved by works. And we all gasped. And then he said this, but they're not your works. They're his His work, His life for you. Jesus lived a perfect life, a life of love, a life of obedience, a life of grace and compassion. He stretched His hand out and touched people that were untouchable, the lepers, and made them clean. People who were blind could receive their sight. Literally, and in our thinking, metaphorically, He touched me and made me see. I was blind, now I can see. I was deaf, now I can hear. I was dead, now I am alive. Dr. Ravi Zachariah said, Jesus did not come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people live. And that's all the difference in the world. Religion can only make you a little better person. The gospel can take you from death to life because Jesus, in a twisted, most ironic twist of fate, if you call it fate, but the most incredible thing in the world is this man, this perfect man, for, not for his own sins, but for the sins of the world, for you and I, suffered and died in our place so that He climbed that tree, the cross, so that you and I would never have to see death in that way. He went into the darkness of a grave so that you and I would never see the inside of a grave. 
Yes, your body will go. We just buried our dear sister Rosa Mopola this week. And yes, her body was put in the grave. But everybody there that knew Jesus Christ knew that only her body was in the grave. Rosa was with Jesus Christ awaiting the resurrection from the dead, the day that her, her body will burst out of the grave new and renewed on the day of the resurrection. Jesus went into the darkness so we wouldn't have to. Jesus was condemned by Simon the Pharisee so that this woman could receive forgiveness. Jesus died not merely for the Romans, not merely for the Jews, not merely for this woman, but for you and me. And he had no name. He identifies with the woman with no name so that we can be clothed forevermore. In fact, the scripture says he will write his name on our lives. We have his name, his son, his forgiveness. That's why El Paso needs this church, and many, many more like it. Our world, folks, look around. It's broken. And our lives are broken. And the only way our, Lord, our world is going to get better is for an army of people, maybe just this little band here and a few other little bands here and there, to come out and actually be what Christ made us to be. Light and salt to the world. Will you trust Him? Will you take your broken life, lay it at His feet? If you will, He will receive you. He will welcome you. Let's pray. Father, uh, we're so very grateful for Your kindness and Your love to us. Of all the people in this room, I am the most astonished that You would even receive me. I had nothing to commend me but a broken life, a messed up life. And yet, You reached out and You touched me. You touched this woman and you touched a band of poor and some of them uneducated fishermen, tax collectors, political zealots. You gathered to yourself the misfits of this world, the weakest, the least, the last, and the lost. And you have built your kingdom from those who owe you everything. Holy Father, God of heaven and earth, to you we dedicate this house. And more than that, our lives. Thank you. Help us. Save us. Have mercy on us. Through Christ our Lord. Amen.